Hello everybody, welcome back to the StatDose podcast. We're here doing an up-to-date dose today. The NICE guidelines for low back pain and sciatica in over 16s has recently been updated. Uh, it was updated September 2020. So we're just going to go through some of the key points of that guideline and talk about some differentials for back pain. I'm joined again by our lovely clinical fellows for this year. Hello guys. Hi, I'm Katrina. Hey, I'm Max. Hi, I'm Molly. Uh, so back pain is a very common presentation to the emergency department and to GP surgeries. Uh, lots of people su- suffer from degenerative back pain and have chronic back pathologies. Most causes are benign, but some can be caused by more sinister causes, um, and the effects of that can be life-changing. So the first part of the guideline talks about sinister pathology or other pathology. Holly, what, what are you thinking about when you, when you come across a presentation of back pain? So in terms of ruling things out, um, the main one I'm thinking about is called equina syndrome. So that's where you've got compression of nerves below the level of the spinal cord, L1-2. And the classic sort of triad um, alongside your back pain for that would be the saddle anesthesia, weakness in the legs and urinary or fecal retention or incontinence. So I saw a patient um, in GP who had cordial quietness syndrome actually. It was quite an interesting one for me because I think, I don't know about you guys, but when I was taught um, at school at triads, I kind of had this image of someone walking in and they've got those three things. Um, they've got weakness in their legs and they're incontinent and they've got sad anesthesia. So this particular patient I saw had a history of sciatica and I'd spoken to him maybe a few weeks before. And at that point, he just had the classic sciatica symptoms, which we will come on to. So I safety messaged him about the symptoms of cord equina. And a couple of weeks, he just called back and said, oh, one of the things you mentioned, I'm not quite how he put it, I think he said... Um, I can't feel my arse. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> that is exactly what he said. Um, so on examination, he was otherwise a completely normal examination, so he didn't have a loss of power. He was like, oh, I have to like push a bit to do a wee. But yeah, he just had this like really thin stripe of numbness um, on, his, on his left buttock. So kind of like S4 down to, and that was it. That was the only real sign. Um, but sent him off to ED, and he had an MRI, which he called a quiner. And this was on Friday, and by Monday he'd been in Durford, he'd had an operation, he was back in surgery, having his stitches to a The key point there is about the high index of suspicion, isn't it? It's that having that low threshold to go, could this be quarter yeah. or Should I get an MRI? And I think also for me it's just about safety netting, mm. because I think if I hadn't been as clear with him about what to look out for, he might not have been so hot in telling me about his number. Good, so that's called Aquina. Obviously, we, you know, it comes to most of our heads, I think, when we're seeing back pain with, with neurology. The other big thing is metastatic uh, spinal cord compression, Max, who's on oncology at the moment. You must have seen that a few times. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so it's actually a, a surprisingly common presentation, um, and it presents incredibly similar to uh, called Aquina syndrome, except for patients don't tend to have that saddle anaesthesia. Why do you not get the saddle anaesthesia? So in metastatic spinal cord compression, it tends to be due to a metastatic deposit of one of the vertebrae pressing into the spinal cord itself. And the spinal cord stops at L1 or L2 level. Very rarely uh, will a metastatic deposit press on the somatic innervation that that supplies uh, your saddle area or your perineum. And it presents very similar to uh, cauda equina, um, but patients will have a background of malignancy of some form. 
The common cancers which spread to your bone tend to be your prostate cancers, your breast cancers and your lung cancers, but kidney and thyroid cancers can as well. And uh, if they have a history of hematological malignancies, uh, lymphoma and myeloma are your most common hematological malignancies that spread to bone. So again, just have a high index of suspicion and a low threshold to get a full MRI spine. So one of the other key causes that the guideline mentions are spinal fractures. So we have to be aware of these uh, either in a traumatic setting or sometimes as a part of the pathological fracture, as Max was talking about, some of the cancers that can metastasize to, to, to bone. Um, they might cause some pathological fractures in the back. Just remember that a lot of the time these patients are elderly, they're osteoporotic, so there might be a very low mechanism of injury. I mean, we often sort of think about sort of car accidents and things when we think of our trauma patients, but just remember in certain patient groups, it might just be a simple fall from standing or something like that clinically there doesn't tend to be neurology uh, with spinal fractures unless there's involvement of the spinal cord clinically there might be some point tenderness over the affected vertebra in which case you want to get some some imaging um, either x-rays but more likely ct uh, if you're worried about a significant spinal fracture so katrina do you want to tell us about sciatica the sort of process behind it is that it's referred pain from a lumbar or sacral nerve root rather than pathology to the nerve itself and it presents with unilateral leg pain. Classically, it would be sort of shooting pain down the back of the leg, right down to the foot. And you might have some associated numbness in the same area. The sort of classic examination sign while you're doing your uh, sort of lower limb motor examination would be worsening of the pain on a straight leg raise. Polly, we talk a lot about mechanical back pain, um, and it's something that we quite commonly see. But what exactly do we mean by that? I think it's quite, uh, I don't know about you guys, I think it's a very helpful phrase. I think to me it just means somebody that's got back pain that doesn't have any of these other pathologies. They've not, they're not going to have any of the neurological findings that we talked about. And we say it's mechanical, so it could be coming from the joints, from the vertebrae or from soft tissues. And I would say this is the vast majority of people with back pain. So that's a helpful sort of run through of, of the key differentials. I think, as we as we mentioned, if there's any suspicion of uh, significant neurology, if you want to do a decent neuro exam, we're going to give, be getting an MRI of, of the spine, ideally whole spine, if we're worried about uh, metastatic spinal cord compression. In terms of going back to the NICE guideline, when we're talking about imaging for low back pain and for sciatica, the, the guideline itself recommends not offering any routine imaging. Sometimes in specialist centres, those sort of neurosurgical centres, MRIs are requested and that helps further down the line with invasive strategies of surgical options where you need radiologically confirmed sciatica before you, you do anything. Um, but generally we're not imaging sciatica or low back pain only if we're suspecting some of the red flag conditions that we just mentioned. So moving on to management and starting off thinking about not using drugs, so non-pharmacological management, when you've ruled out a concerning pathology and you're thinking more maybe about mechanical back pain or chronic back pain, one of the best things and one of the things that you want to do is to try and encourage people to keep moving, encouraging patients to think about self-care, um, giving them information and advice as so that they can carry on with their normal activities and particularly so that they can carry on with getting back to work and things like that. Um, encouraging exercise, maybe referring them to physiotherapy and also maybe considering psychological therapy like CBT. That might be helpful for some patients. The guidelines don't recommend acupuncture or orthotics, so things like belts, corsets or foot orthotics, um, therapeutic ultrasound or 
pens or pens machines. It's a lot of stuff not to recommend. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's all there because previously that has been used. Mm. All of those sort of interventions that you just mentioned, like acupuncture, orthotic, etc., have previously been used in some shape or form. But mm. There's no evidence behind them. They don't provide benefits. I think that's why NICE have just highlighted that as a don't do this thing. So in terms of uh, pharmacological interventions that you can offer to patients with uh, back pain, the guidelines actually do not recommend... Are not. Yeah, much, <laughs> much at all. They say that paracetamol is rarely effective if used alone, but also recommend to not offer gabapentinoids, antiepileptics, steroids or benzos at all, as there is uh, no evidence uh, for their benefits and that in fact they actually may harm patients ultimately. If you find patients are on those agents uh, for their back pain, Try and wean them off, um, which may be a bit of a struggle because patients do become reliant on these medications, kind of emotionally and mentally reliant more than potentially physically. In terms of opiate agents, the recommendations are to uh, offer these for acute flares, but if it's a chronic condition, uh, to avoid these as well. Again, they just have a number of side effects associated with them, especially if they are they're used uh, long term. In terms of other less strong analgesics you can offer. Uh, there's very fairly limited evidence for the uh, benefit of NSAIDs uh, in back pain. And so ultimately, the guidelines recommend uh, offering analgesia, but only for patients who experience acute flares of their back pain. Otherwise, more conservative measures are the kind of mainstay of treatment. I think what's interesting, if you read the guidelines in terms of the evidence behind the different analgesia, essentially the whole thing says there's no evidence for any of them, and it therefore explains that the way they recommend you decide which analgesia you use is based on the risk of harm. So no, no good evidence for any of it, therefore, depending on the sort of patient you've got in front of you, you've got to just weigh out what's going to be the best option for them. So then the guideline goes on to talk about invasive interventions for low back pain and sciatica. And one of the things that I've, I think, ever seen done, nice to say, consider epidural injections of local anaesthetic or steroids for acute and severe sciatica. Have we seen that in practice ever, ladies and gentlemen? No, no. Nope. Cool. Who would you even convince to do that? I don't know. Um, probably some sort of maverick old-fashioned GP. With <laughs> 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 an epidural needle in them. Yeah, I think yeah, the, that's, that's a very good question. Who would who would actually do that? Maybe like an anaesthetist in yeah. a pain clinic. Pain clinic. I think pain clinic is probably going to be the most likely yeah. option. But yeah. I think yeah, having having an acute and severe flare of sciatica, you're either going to turn up to a, to a GP also the minor injuries unit or an emergency department. And I don't think that, that skill resource will be there to provide that, that service. Um, so I mean, that's what the NICE guidelines say, but I think the practicalities of getting that sorted are, are unlikely. Spinal decompression, though, is the big sort of thing that the, the neurosurgeons uh, or the spinal surgeons will, will consider. That can be offered if the other interventions that we've mentioned in this podcast are ineffective, um, as long as the patient has radiological findings of, of sciatica. If those things are ongoing, if you're a GP, you can consider referring to the, to the spinal surgeons to consider spinal decompression. So I think we've got a few take-home messages there. I think a big one for me is when your patient initially presents, let's say, a GP with their back pain, it's about carefully explaining to them that the best thing they can do is to carry on their normal activities not just go to bed. We know that that is not going to help. And just set their expectations because I think otherwise you'll give them some sort of analgesia and they'll keep coming back. And that's how you end up with patients taking a lot of different analgesias and not getting anywhere. So I think careful expectation setting at the beginning could be really helpful. 
I think it's like, yeah, taking that extra time at the start will save you time in the future. That's it, exactly, yeah. My take-home message, always to remember your red flags. So any patients with back pain and then any odd neurology. Have a high index of suspicion, um, especially if those patients have bilateral leg weakness, loss of bowel or bladder function, or any anesthesia. I think my take-home would be that this guidance probably offers quite a lot of information about what not to give patients. And I guess to consider when you're seeing someone trying to de-escalate the amount of analgesia that they're on if they've come in and they're already on a lot of opioids or neuropathic agents um, and just to kind of consider some of the non-pharmacological options to see if that will help them. Good, I think mine is just to have an awareness that there is very limited evidence for a lot of the interventions that we're doing and in lots of medicine not just in you know in back pain in this guideline uh, and just be aware that as, as Katrina was saying there's a de-escalation of all these important medications and that's because there is a potential risk of harm with lots of them. Thanks very much for listening guys hopefully it was helpful uh, as ever any feedbacks are welcome we'll see you next time. <laughs>